the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 591 for Sunday, February 7th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Like Car Talk for Apple Geeks, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share it all. We try to answer your questions. The goal, of course, is to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Smile, smilesoftware.com slash geek. PDF pen is what we're talking about this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. New sponsor for us at Betterment, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T dot com slash M-G-G. Online investing service. They're the first of their kind. We'll talk more about that shortly. Harry's at harrys.com or coupon code SHAVE5OFF saves you five bucks of their off their already amazingly well-priced razors and uh, blades. And of course, at Casper, casper.com slash M-G-G where coupon code M-G-G saves you 50 bucks. Off a new mattress, get yourself a good night's sleep. We'll talk about that on all of it shortly here in Durham, New Hampshire on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John F. Braun? Uh, I'm doing. I'm You're doing. doing. All right, good. That's good. All right, let's get into this. We got some cool, cool stuff found. Uh, we started the last episode, well, the last Cool Stuff Found episode with something called Huff Duffer, which was a way of creating a podcast feed of um, of other, uh, of, 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 I'm sorry, I'm confusing what these two things do and I haven't even told you about it yet, of other audio files, right? Which is cool. Uh, and just random audio files that you can assemble together. Allison Sheridan over at podfeet.com, the Nozilla cast host told me and us this week today about narrow N A R R O dot co, which is, uh, it's, you can do that, but it's for text, right? So you put text articles at this thing. It texts to speeches them. And I promise I won't stumble through everything today as bad as I just stumbled through that. But that's what Nero does. And you can do some for free and some uh, not so much for free. So that's a pretty cool one. I, I like that stuff. This is, this is why we do cool stuff found. You know what I mean, John? Cool. Yep. Copied is what uh, listener Steve suggests as his cool stuff found this week. He said uh, it's copy and paste everywhere. And it's available on the App Store. It allows you to uh, manage your clipboard on iOS, which is pretty darn cool. So I like that. That's pretty good, right? It's a. It's. I think it's a keyboard. Is the way it the way it works and the way it gets that done, which is uh, you know, we like it. It's good. Fun stuff, right, John? Still moving here. Uh, you know, I remember a while ago. Yeah, it, it was interesting because one of our friends, I think, uh, I think it was our friend uh, Don Don McAllister. Yeah, who does uh, the screencast things. But it was funny because he, I remember, queried his uh, uh, base. Yeah, uh, as to what they use for cut and paste. And actually, it was interesting because many people 
indicated that Notes is quite, uh, the current version of Notes especially, with the upgrade that does you know more than just text now, is uh, actually not a bad way to do cross-device oh. cut and paste. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, especially since they uh, before it was just text, which you know is kind of boring. But now, you know, uh, if you upgrade, you can include graphics and, and all sorts of other things. Right. So, uh, and I I, mid, I I often use notes to to be my quick and dirty cut and paste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Pretty cool. I like it. All right, and then Blake brings us uh, a, a a ton, a cornucopia of cool stuff found if you would uh let's see duet which is it some of these we've mentioned before but they're worth uh re-mentions duet is one of them it's at duetdisplay.com. uh you can use your ipad as an extra display for your mac which is really handy when you're traveling so we will put that one into the show notes uh, and then bartender, of course, I couldn't live on my laptop without bartender, uh, at MacBartender.com because that allows you to really tidy up the menu bar while, with, while still keeping all of your icons and, and apps running and all of that good stuff. Jumpsuit, which is something I'd never heard of before. Uh, another clipboard one. This is for up to 99 items. Uh, you know, if you're not using a, uh, multiple entry clipboard that's something to really check out because it's life-changing uh knowing that you can go and copy like four things and then go and choose which of those you're going to paste when they all kind of stay in your in your multiple clipboard so jumpsuits one of those things uh there are there are others i use i use keyboard maestro actually to do that because i use it for some other things and so it's there uh, so i've got keyboard maestro configured to do it and i i have you know command v will paste for me from keyboard maestro and then command shift V brings up my clipboard history. And you know, then I can pick whichever one I want and it uses all, uh, you know, all um, uh, menu, you know, arrow keys and stuff. So you don't have to leave the keyboard. That's what I'm trying to say. I guess I am going to stumble through some of these as much as I did the, uh, the other ones, but you know, that's just how it's going to go today, I guess. Uh, let's see. What else does Blake have for us? I know we're not done. Flux. Which changes, it's kind of like night shift for your Mac, right? Um, so it changes the white point of your display and makes it a lot less blue so that you're getting less blue light at night, which is handy. And I think that's about it. Yeah, that's good enough. There's, uh, there's some more, but we'll, we'll leave it at that. So thank you very much, Blake, for, for those. These are great. It's great stuff. Speaking of keyboards, Dave. Yes, John. <laughs> Well, I thought I'd interject. Uh, Go. So I got something. Yeah. Um, and it was actually brought to my attention. So uh, Amazon has these things. Uh, I think they call them gold box deals or deals of the yeah. day and stuff like yeah. that. And, and a couple days ago, and you, you can get emails alerting to alerting you to these. Yep. Or I think also on Twitter or various other social media. But um, so I noticed one. And uh, I decided to to jump on it. But it was a good, pretty good price because... I have, well, it's still, I can see it sitting in my, my pile of things that I think I'm going to bring to recycling. But I, the last keyboard I got, which I, I liked for some reasons, but then I, I started not to like for other reasons. Uh, Verbatim had something called a speaker keyboard. I liked it because it was a full-size keyboard. Uh, 
and it had a backlight. It also sure. had speakers, uh, which I really didn't use. I just liked the uh, the keyboard, but it it annoyed me for various reasons. So one, if I hit a key on it, it wouldn't wake my machine, which I thought was kind of weird. And also some of the keys didn't work right. Like it just wouldn't see certain key combinations like recovery and, and other things when I started my machine up. And I'm like, eh, let me, let me try something different. Sure. And so this is something that actually a few people have recommended. Uh, so I got the Logitech wireless solar keyboard K750. All right. And so far, I'm pretty happy. It's a, it's a pretty sweet keyboard, um, as the name implies. It is uh, so it is wireless. So up until now, I have had wired keyboards. Oh, huh. All right. You know, USB. Sure. Yeah. Um, why not? Yeah. But this one is wireless. Um, it uses so it's not Bluetooth. Right? It is 2.4 gigahertz, but it uses Logitech's proprietary. Uh, so they give you a little dongle, a little plug dongle. It into a USB port, and sure. it, it is 2.4 gigahertz, but it's not Bluetooth and not Wi-Fi. It's, right. It's their right. standard. Yep. But the cool part is that it charges itself using solar cells that are built into the keyboard. Smart. Um, and so far, I haven't seen a good, it. It keeps saying it's at 100%, which is great because they give you an app that not only tells you the level of the rechargeable battery in it, and they claim that at a full charge, you can type on this thing for three months before you're going to need to nice. charge it again if you're not near light. What's also fun is that they have a little, um, it was a little annoying because their software is kind of weird in that they say, go here to get this additional piece of software that not only tells you the charge level, but it also tells you the amount of lumens that are being received by Sweet. the keyboard. Uh, the only annoyance is that if you try to go to their webpage and their support page, the installer for the software isn't there. They, uh. they kind of... They got to get their act together. The thing is, you can get it from the app store. Similar, the other Logitech device I have is the um, is a, a webcam, okay. and that also you can get the control software to fine tune it uh, from the app store. But um, so far, I like it. Like I mentioned, um, you know, I just leave it on all the time for now. And uh, if I hit a key on it, it will wake my machine, which is what I would expect. And I actually tried to start up in recovery, and it actually recognized that keystroke as well. So. Uh, uh, I got it uh, by a special. The, this special, it was forty dollars. Nice. Um, normally, the retail price is sixty dollars, but it's a uh, you know, as a touch typist, I like it. It's a uh, the layout and and the feel is very similar. I, I would say almost exactly the same feel as the uh, keyboard on my um, MacBook Pro. So uh, something you guys may want to check cool. check out if you're considering a wireless keyboard. I'm so far, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. All right, cool. Moving on, Koji. Uh, cool stuff found. Yandex Translate. He says, Dave, you mentioned that you are heading to Europe and in need of a translation app that you can use offline. I was in Ecuador slash the Galapagos a few weeks ago and Wi-Fi, let alone 3G, was spotty at best. I don't really know much Spanish, so I was looking for an offline translation app and I came across Yandex's Translate app. The best part is you can use it offline, which is perfect when you have no network access. But you have to download the language library first. Similar to Google's app, you can snap a photo and it will translate the text. Although it can handle speech, you have to be connected to a network for that. Thanks, Koji. Awesome, awesome stuff. And along those lines, Bill chimes in with uh, the iOS language dictionaries from Ultralingua. 
Uh, he says it's just definitions, not translation of sentences, but uh, there are some phrases plus verb forms. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. Thank you, folks, for sending those in. Those it it means a lot. <laughs> that will become very helpful as we uh, as we get closer to our Europe trip coming up here. So very cool. And Patrick, with yet another cornucopia of things, he says uh, he's got a couple of them for the iPhone coaches clock. If you volunteer coach a youth team, it allows you to sub kids in and out and keeps track of playing time to give everyone equal time. So we will put that one in the show notes. Uh, Mobile day, a calendar app for conference calls. It simplifies the process. It's excellent if you make more than two conference calls per month. And so we'll put that one in the show notes. Those are iPhone. uh, 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 apps. And then he's got three Mac apps for us too. airmail, which actually now is also for the iPhone and I've been testing it out, but I'm not quite ready to talk about it. It's been a little flaky for me, but it might be the, uh, the mail app that replaces mail for me on the iPhone. It could be if it could just show me my freaking sent mailbox. Otherwise I really, really like it. In fact, but airmail, uh, is also on the Mac and it's at airmailapp.com. So thank you for that. Patrick Helix Express is an unknown, virtually unknown database program that is extremely clever and powerful. It's been around since the 80s and uh, the Digital Equipment Corp days says it ran on a Vax, but it also runs on a Mac. So we will put that in the show notes. And finally, NovaMind and Merlin, uh, a mind mapper and project management tools that work seamlessly together. I have uh, never used NovaMind, but man, I have used Merlin and I agree with you. Merlin is killer. So uh, thank you for, for mentioning that. I think it's been a long time since we've mentioned Merlin on this show. And that's one of those apps that's really well built. And, uh, and just, if you need to do project management, that is the way to go. So, uh, so thank you for all of those. Trying to think of what else we have here, John. Uh, Leon, we're, blo- we're going to blaze through these cool stuff found because, uh, it's what we do. Leon says, uh, in show 589, you mentioned your love of mail plugins. The only problem is that every release of OS 10 seems to disable the plugins, even if they work fine. I guess I can understand as Apple is trying to be conservative. And I says, I, he says, I guess this is a finger wag, not a fish shake. Anyhow, there's a handy little free tool called Mail Plugin Manager by Little Known Software that can help you deal with this. It detects when a plugin is going to be disabled, and it will help you find an update if available. It, would all, it will also let you easily re-enable disabled plugins, which is also super handy. Um, it's got a great little feature for finding new plugins as well, and of course, he provides us to the link over at Little Known Software. That's I, I agree. Uh, I've been using Mail Plugin Manager for years. This is one of those. This is one of those things where I use it and never think to put it in the the, the notes. But you know, there you go. So that's how that goes, John. Yeah, of course they are the maker of a utility that I think you and I both love, which is yeah, the Signature Profiler. Indeed. Yeah, Scott Little's a good guy, and and yeah, I couldn't live without Signature Profiler. It lets you assign different signatures to different uh, profiles, different mail addresses. Um, something that AirMail on iOS actually lets you do. Another reason it might become one of my um, favorites. Yeah. So like when we're replying to Mac Geekab mail there, we can have separate signatures for, you know, the normal and the premium and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, it's it's good stuff. Uh, 
We talked about mocha recently, John, not uh, not the chocolatey lusciousness, but the cable, um, the the Ethernet over coax solution that uh, that works alongside of your cable signal. And Everett reminds us that some of the new Comcast modems, especially the all in one ones, have mocha built in for screaming for screaming for streaming to their own cable DVRs for the on-demand stuff. Um, but he says it's Mocha just like anything else. So if you want to connect a network in, it works just fine. And you that means you don't need to buy uh, a Mocha device for the origin point. You can just buy one for where it's going. And to that end, thank you, Everett. To that end, the TiVo Bolt, I, am, uh, I, I read when I was installing my new one, that also does the same thing. It's it's a Mocha device in and of itself, so it'll send uh, Ethernet over coax, which is you know okay. You beat me to it because I I know that some of the TiVos I don't know if it's just the Bolt. It or might be the, the Romeo too. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so they have what I'll call a Mocha transceiver or connector. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you can do high combine, which kind of makes sense. I mean, if you're going to screw a cable into it, yeah, it should support it'd be nice if it supported not only tuning but networking over over and i guess it's over the same wire right yeah it's right it's yeah exactly yeah that's yeah that's kind of the the way it works it's pretty good all right two more left i promise ian writes uh he says i heard someone recommend city maps to go i found this incredibly frustrating to use because when you reached the edge of a downloaded map you had to know by name the next region so instead i swipped to, switched to using maps.me which comes with a world map and as you zoom into a location once you pass the limit it will prompt you to download the detailed map for the region it also comes with routing information that will give you turn by turn instructions so that's maps.me thank you very much ian and uh, let's see, last, well, the last cool stuff found from one of you, and then I have one of my own, but I think, oh, actually, this is a, this is not a cool stuff found. This is a tip from a premium listener, Jeff, and that is, here we are. He says, uh, whether an app is available for offline, uh, for download or not. So, okay, uh, the setup is in show 589, we were talking about the, uh, availability of apps that you have previously purchased that are no longer available in the app store. And, and as John and I kind of discussed some of them, you can still download and Jeff provides some clarity on this. He says, whether an app is available for you to download after it is no longer available for sale depends on how and why it was removed. If it was removed from sale, then yes, it will be available to redownload. But if it was deleted from the developer's iTunes connect account, then it is gone forever. I don't believe there's a way for customers to know how or why it was removed other than whether or not it's available for redownload. And that makes sense. It's got to be there somewhere. So uh, thank you for that, Jeff. Lastly, John, I tested something out this week that I messed with at CES called Erin, E-A-R-I-N at Erin at com. These are wireless earbuds. And when I say wireless I don't mean that they're Bluetooth, but connected to each other. These are truly just little wireless things, not much bigger than an ear plug. And you put one in your left ear and one in your right ear and they're Bluetooth headphones. And man, so first of all, they sound amazing. I, like really, I was blown away. I thought they sounded good 
at uh, at CES, but it's hard to tell when you're on like, you know, I saw him at one of those press events. So it's just cr- kind of crazy and loud. But uh, man, I've been using them here this week and they sound great. But there is something amazingly, it's almost bizarre not having cords, even just cords or something between the two headphones. It, it, this freedom of, of being unrestricted is amazing. I was using it. Actually, I was using them while I snowblowed. Uh, because we got about eight inches of snow, I guess, 10 inches the other day, whatever it was. I had to clean up the edges. We have somebody plow our driveway, but I used the snowblower to do some stuff. And uh, I was out there and used these. And man, it's so nice not having the cord like get caught on the hood of my jacket or whatever. It was, And it sounds great. So, Erin, uh, the battery will last about three hours in stereo mode, and then you can use them just one at a time in mono mode. And mono mode, uh, you get about 10 hours. What's cool, though, is they come in this metal tube and the tube is what charges them. So you pop these things into the tube and slide the tube closed. And then it's, you know, it's like a, uh, I don't know how big it is. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe two or three times the size of a chapstick. It, it's maybe twice as long as a chapstick and a little bit thicker, you know? So it's this tiny little tube. You can keep it in your pocket. It protects them and it charges them. And then you take it out of the tube and, and you take them out of the tube and, and put them in. And the tube has its own battery in it from which it charges the headphones. And then you can charge the tube with a micro USB thing, but you get several charges uh, uh, out of the tube itself. So it's pretty cool. It's a very cool design. I think it's about 250 bucks, but uh, which is not cheap, but man, for the quality that you're getting, it's actually the right price. So it's really, really, really cool. It's fun stuff. Uh, I was very impressed by them. So that's, uh, that's what I got there, John. You got anything else on your cool stuff found list? Not at the moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, then what I want to do, if, uh, if it's all the same to you, John, is I would like to talk about our first two sponsors. Does that work for you, John? Outstanding. All right. Our first sponsor today is a new sponsor for us here, and that's Betterment at betterment.com slash MGG. Let me ask you a question. How many of us here enjoy investing? How many of us are experts at investing? How many of us are experts at getting started at investing? I am in none of those categories. There are people out there that are better at this than me. The problem is sometimes it's really intimidating to go and talk to those people, especially as you're getting started. And we all need to get started. So here's the thing. Betterment is the first automated investing service. They're the largest, they're the category leader. They've got over 100,000 customers and they make it really easy to use. You just go to betterment.com slash MGG and you start answering questions. Very simple questions. How old are you? What are your goals? How much do you make? And they're going to start putting all this stuff together for you. They make it really easy. They make it really comfortable. And you can do it at your own pace without feeling like you're being judged by anybody else. Because you're not. However, Betterment has people on staff seven days a week if you need help. And that's the thing. They're not here to make you feel bad about what you're doing or what you're not doing. There's no hard sell tactics. Betterment is an alternative to a personal investment manager and financial advisor. They advise you on your goals and then help you achieve them. Obviously, they can't make any guarantees because nobody controls the stock market. That's not what they're there for. That's not what anybody's there for. 
Betterment is there to make this easy, make it lower cost than other financial services, and do it really well. You've got to get control of your finances. Betterment is the way to get started. It's never too late to begin saving for retirement or other financial goals, whatever that might be. But there's no reason for you to wait. There's no reason for me to wait. Go to betterment.com slash MGG. That gets you up to six months of automated investing for free. And you can get more information, of course, at betterment.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Betterment for sponsoring this show. I also want to talk about our sponsor, Harry's at harrys.com. You guys know this. These folks make the best razors I've ever used. I bet they're going to be the best razors you've ever used. Here's the thing. You can make it even better, right? So I'm a geek and I like iterating on the process. So there's a couple things that I've learned. And actually, I learned some of these things reading Harry's website because Harry's, they're shaving geeks too, right? So what better match? So one of the things is, you know, you first, before you're going to put the blade to your skin, you're either going to put Harry's great gel or Harry's uh, great cream. I actually, you know, I've got both. I, I do prefer the cream. It's, it's just, a, it's this very silky thing, but the gel works too. And it's sometimes nice to get foamed up. Well, if you're going to do that, put it on and then wait a couple of minutes before you put the blade to your skin. That gives the gel or the cream time to soften up the whiskers on your face, time to really kind of get your skin soft, a little bit of patience. You can wash your hands. You can take some time, wash the, uh, the rest of the, the cream or the gel off your hands. Uh, you can heat up your razor blade under some hot water and then you start shaving. But when you start shaving, make sure you go with the grain and it's good even actually before you put the cream on to go and kind of feel your face and figure out which way the grain goes at different places. Because if you're like me, it's kind of all over the place. And again, I learned all this stuff from Harry's, harrys.com. They're shaving geeks. So figure out how your, your face works and then shave in that direction. Then when you're finished, you can put another layer of cream or gel on and do a shave in the opposite direction. Right. That way you're not getting caught up on the big, long whiskers or anything. And you can go against the grain and get a nice, smooth finish on this. You got to check this out. And here's the best part. This stuff, it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. In fact, it's the least expensive shave I've ever had. And it's the best shave. So you go to harrys.com. You can start with a kit for just, well, retail is 15 bucks, but you don't pay retail. You use the coupon code SHAVE5OFF, that's SHAVE, the number 5, O-F-F. You save 5 bucks, so now 10 bucks free shipping to you. You get a handle, three blades, a little travel case for the blade, and either cream or gel. It's awesome. You got to check it out. Harrys.com, coupon code SHAVE5OFF. You can be a shaving geek too. In fact, send us your shaving geek tips. We'll share those too. Thanks to Harry's for sponsoring this episode. And now, John, it's time to go to Felix because Felix has a great question. Felix says, guys, I have so many old hard drives in storage. Do you guys have any suggestions for what I could do with them? Most of them are bare SATA drives, which have been replaced, so they still have data on them. Is there any kind of enclosure that can combine all of them just to keep his backups? Something cheap that could keep them spinning once in a while to keep the magnetic data from becoming corrupted 
or anything like that. I would appreciate suggestions. Okay, so Felix, what you're looking to do is called JBOD, right? Uh, J-B-O-D, <laughs> and, and it stands for just a just bunch. Just a bunch of odd disks? Old disks? No, just a bunch of disks. That's of it. disks. Yeah, of disks. And that's what it is, right? You, you know, you're looking for something that's kind of like a RAID enclosure. In fact, many enclosures that are RAID enclosures will support JBOD as well. Um, and and it's, it can be a really handy thing. So there's all kinds of different enclosures that, uh, that I've looked around at. The uh, Otherworld Computing has, uh, has some, of course, you know, and you can get them in Thunderbolt and you can get them in variety of sizes. But what's cool is, you know, any enclosure that, that is built to support soft raid, right. Or, so, or software raid, but soft raid is a, a commercial product that does it is doing it as JBOD, right? Cause it's presenting all of the disks to the, uh, to the operating system. And then it's up to the OS to do whatever you want with it, but there's nothing stopping you from just mounting all of them separately. Um, I found a four bay unit on Amazon. That's just uh, a USB three uh, device, which again, for what you're talking about might be perfect. And uh, it's, you know, 149 bucks. So that's, um, that's, we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but yeah, yeah. JBOD. And uh, I know it's a weird term, but uh, it, well, it's, it's what you want. You know, I, I, I believe it's, uh, I would, Say that JBOD is a subset of, and you mentioned RAID. Now, yeah. what is RAID? And RAID, I think some would say, stands for redundant array of inexpensive disks. Right. I think RAID, though, implies that there's a level of integrity. Yeah, or right. Protection. Whereas JBOD, I think, is a level of RAID, if you know what I'm saying, is that JBOD. Could be. I think it's. I think it's exactly the opposite of raid. It's like non-raid. Oh, all right. Right. I mean, right. I, and I, that it's not doing anything smart. In that of right. all the drives appear as individual. Okay. Because raid, at the very basic level, I think raid zero or one or whatever will stitch together. We'll we'll, do, we'll start doing something smart. Yeah. So JBOD is no smarts whatsoever. Yeah. But even if you have smarts, you can like you. I think it's raid zero, which is not really raid, right? Because it just stitches everything together and doesn't have any fault tolerance. Right. right. And that it, it, it makes a number of, a number of drives appear as one. Right. Right. And I would say there's some intelligence there, but it, it it's the first step towards. And then as you progress down the raid standards, yeah. uh, better things happen. Yeah. You know, raid one, raid five, raid 10. And then you start introducing, you know, redundancy and error correction and, you know, things that you want and you get out of commercial units, whether it be QNAP or Drobo or Synology or, or all that, the, um, you know, this is something that, that I noticed. I, I don't know if you had, uh, I'll just toss it out here since we're talking about this thing. I did notice the other day when I saw QNAP at a, uh, at a show, they have something that I think is rather unique in that they have what, what I would say is kind of their proprietary, I believe you've you've actually evaluated uh, QNAP units, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they're they're but like synologies or anything like that. Yeah. But I do believe they have one thing that I saw that was kind of unique that I hadn't seen in others is that they have for a lot of their units. I'm not sure of all of them, but they have an enclosure that actually will accept. I think either SATA or US, but but it will accept drives of different types and then kind of standardize it into their 
kind of proprietary one, which I think is kind of interesting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, I'll have yeah. to look it up. But but the thing is, they offer, I think, a bit more flexibility in assembling a bunch of random drives that you have in that they can be of different interface types. And then they offer the connector that then... So I guess what I'm saying is you may want to... Um, again, I, I don't have a QNAP unit, but, but a QNAP may be worth looking at if you're thinking of taking a bunch of drives and just throwing them together to do something cool. Yeah, but he's, I, you QNAP builds network units and yeah, that's not what he wants for raid, here. For rating. Okay. If, yeah, yeah. For rate. Yeah, exactly. For, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he just wants to mount. It, it's like he wants, you know, four external enclosures mounted separately. And, uh, and so, yeah, you, you can do that with four separate enclosures, but you can also get a JBOD enclosure and just do it that way. It, there's been some discussion in the chat room here at macgeekab.com slash stream uh, about whether JBOD requires drives to be all kind of concatenated together and treated as one. I don't believe that to be the case. In fact, I've done it and not had that be the case, but you can do that. You can, you know, once you've got all the discs, you can sort of do what you want with them. But it, like John said, it's a, it's a dumb uh, configuration, but you can combine them into a single logical volume and make it a linear JBOD configuration as opposed to kind of what would be a parallel JBOD configuration where you've got just, you know, multiple uh, discs presenting themselves. And that, that's what they do. They present themselves and then it's up to you to design, decide how you want to, you know, deal with them. That's right. Right. And the other suggestion I have is if you have a bunch of drives and uh, you're not sure what to do with them, uh, now is as good a time as any, Dave, to learn how to juggle. <laughs> if you're going to learn how to juggle, because I did this, right? As a kid, I desperately, <laughs> desperately wanted to know how to juggle. And I, so I learned all the mechanics of it, but I never could put it together. And then we had a house in, in our house in Connecticut that we lived in before this one. Uh, we had tall ceilings. You know, we had vaulted ceilings. Actually, we had vaulted ceilings in a couple of houses. Uh, but... We had kids in that house and that was really the first house where we had kids. And so we had these, one of these kind of ball pit things like you see it at, at, you know, amusement centers or whatever. We had one at the house. Mm -hmm. It was much smaller than you'd see at these amusement centers, but it was there and it had these really lightweight balls in there. Um, and I would stand on conference calls in I, with a, my phone on a headset and uh, these three of these balls. And because they're so lightweight, they stay in the air forever and it made it so easy to learn how to juggle. And, and now I've heard people say that you can do the same uh, throwing like handkerchiefs in the air just to get the, the flow of it. You want something that has some good hang time. I'm not quite sure hard drives are what you're looking for. Um, you probably want to okay. get the, the rhythm down with something else, but now I can juggle anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I love juggling. It's really, it's, it's like meditative. It's very, very I, I love it anyway. I don't know. I'm nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, where are we here? So that's that. Uh, along these lines, because we like it when uh, when there's patterns to what we do here, Craig has uh, a question. He says, I have a 27-inch iMac, and I'm looking to upgrade to a new 27-inch Retina iMac with an internal SSD of 256 gigs. What I am planning is to store all my data, photos, music, documents, everything, on an external Thunderbolt array. That way, it will make future computer upgrades easy, since all the data will reside external to the computer. I don't really want a NAS drive, though. What I want is the speed of a multiple disk array, 
like RAID 0, I believe he says. But I also want redundancy, like RAID 1. Uh, I have around one terabyte of data now, so a total of two terabytes should be good for several years. If I've done my homework correctly, that means a RAID 5 array with four drives. Am I correct in that? Yes, that's correct. Uh, three drives minimum to make RAID 5 work the way you think it's going to work. Otherwise, it's just essentially mirroring. Um, but yeah, he uh, says, I assume that I will need four two terabyte drives to accomplish this. Uh, is that correct? Um, well, no, you could do this with three one, with four one terabyte drives. What happens in RAID 5, you have one drive fault tolerance, right? So that means that of your four drives... If one of them dies, you can replace that one and not lose any data. Uh, but what it means is you're dedicating one drive to what's called parity, if I'm getting all my terms correct. And that means you don't have that drive's worth of storage in your entire uh, space. And But it, you don't have to pick the drive. That's the, the RAID just sort of deals with it. And that's the magic of RAID. So if you've got four one terabyte drives, that's four terabytes of raw storage and about three terabytes, one drive less of uh, of storage available to you. Uh, so if you it really if you if you're thinking two terabytes total, then four one terabyte drives in a, in a four drive RAID is fine. Probably it, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if, if you start pricing out drives to find that two terabyte drives might be cheaper in some instances than the ones uh, just because of the way sizes are. I haven't priced them. It's possible the ones are still cheaper. But I know that as as time marches on, the, the smaller drives sometimes I think you ran into this, right, John, where where you went to buy a drive and it was cheaper to buy something larger. Yeah, no, when I. Yeah, when I wanted to uh, upgrade or, or I wanted to replace a failing drive in my TiVo, and I think it, there was a one gig drive in there. Yeah. And yeah, and I looked up the model, you know, so I got the model number. It was a WD drive. And yes, it was less expensive for me to get a larger drive. It's, you know, economics, uh, supply yeah. and demand. It, it's that's exactly right. of scale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and David in the chat room suggests the OWC Thunder Bay Four RAID, which uh, which is not a bad way to go at all. Um, it, you know, you're you're going to be spending some money to do this, and it, it's important to remember that. Uh, you know, for a for in fact for the four terabyte version, which is four one terabyte drives in this four bay RAID uh, and the soft RAID software, and I'll put an asterisk on that to come back to it. It's seven hundred and twenty nine bucks. To go up to four two terabyte drives, so eight terabytes of raw storage, you're adding about hundred thirty dollars to eight fifty four. Uh, but the you know the 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 enclosures are not cheap. You know you're talking about Thunderbolt, which is not cheap, and then you're just talking about a RAID enclosure, which is also not cheap. So you know the the enclosures are just shy of five hundred bucks as well. Uh, so it, you know you're you're spending some money here. One thing to bear in mind is that with these types of enclosures. You're talking about soft raid, uh, which means that your uh, it's third party software managing the raid. Now, I think you could use OS 10's disk utility to manage the raid. You might have to do it from the command line now. Well, the benefit to doing it's a go ahead. He, it's more a pain in the neck now, from what I understand. It, you're they, right. They've hidden. Yeah, they've hidden, you know, as you know, a fish shake to them that they they're hiding things, although the capabilities are still buried underneath the covers, but yep. you, um, you have to, uh, do some work. The other thing I, I, I think, uh, and then back to you, but, uh, the, the thing I thought we should mention is that, um, since we last talked about software, they've actually come out with 
a version they call SoftRaid Lite. Now, the, the, the one issue some people may have had in the past is that SoftRaid was rather pricey. Sure. It was in the hundreds of dollars. They have something called SoftRaid Lite, which is $49. Okay. So, if you're thinking of a software RAID solution, um, that's a lot more palatable because I think before it was like 249 or 495 sure. It was, you know, beyond what a lot of people want to spend for a piece of software to manage their disks. Yeah. Um, now you're getting it uh, free with that, or you're getting it included with that OWC drive that David in the chat room mentioned. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. The one issue that I have with, uh, with software raid from soft raid versus apples, you're right. Soft raids way easier to use. It's more powerful. And I think there's been some benchmarks and it actually turns out to be faster is that, you have to have SoftRaid installed on any Mac for it to be able to access that drive. And that's not a big deal, but it is a deal. Whereas Apple's software RAID works on any OS 10 installation because it's baked into OS 10. Yes, it's harder to set up now than it used to be, but you plug that drive into any OS 10 machine and it will see it. And so that's it, that there is a huge benefit to that. I think, um, but as many people in the chat room are mentioning, and, and actually as I had on my list next, uh, a Direct Connect Drobo also is going to work here. And, you know, it manages the creation and, and, and management of the volume. So you put your disks in, you can use different size disks, right? Uh, you know, and, and you can use, I, I would argue that you probably don't need Thunderbolt for what you're talking about. I don't know, you know, you, you mentioned photos, music, documents, everything. There wasn't a whole lot of, you know, video production data that just has, you know, massive bandwidth requirements. So a USB Gen 3 Drobo, man, might be exactly what you're looking for and is, you know, very inexpensive. I think it was $299. We had that coupon code for a while. I don't know if it's still good. You'd have to look back in the show notes because I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I think it was either Geek 100 or MGG 100. Saved you a hundred bucks off of that. So, you know, a USB Drobo uh, might be plenty fast for you because it's all USB 3. And then it just works. You plug it in and it presents itself as an OS 10 volume or you format it. But then once you've done that, then you like you can plug it into any machine. And those Gen 3 Drobos are awesome, but they also do have the, the Drobo 5D which is a Thunderbolt, it's a five bay, not a four bay, uh, Thunderbolt based uh, Drobo as well. So I, I think that might actually be a better option for you to be, to be perfectly honest. That's, that's my thoughts anyway. John, any, anything last? No, I, I still, uh, I'm still using my Drobo FS. Um, well, that's a network know. Drobo, but yeah. Yeah. Yes. But you know, I think it has, you know, pretty much the same, feature set and uh yeah and i think you and i've concluded or, or at least my position on the drobo is uh you know they've gotten better with the app support uh but but they're what they call i think they call it smart raid do they call it or, or what, what i forgot well, so what, what so yeah well okay so now we've kind of taken this and, and and turned it into a mess uh just to separate it out no apps on the direct connect Drobos, either the 5D or the Gen 3 Drobo. Those are just Direct Connect. Um, you, they're oh, they're right. not smart devices. The only Drobos, in fact, the only Drobos that support apps are the network Drobos. So the FS, 
which is discontinued and you can't get it anymore or much better than the FS, the five N which is currently available and actually is, is a, a fine little device does support apps. There the apps that are available for it are limited and it's sort of clunky, but, but it works. Um, you're frankly, you're, if you're going to do apps on a NAS, you're way better off with Synology, uh, these days, but, mm -hmm. but it's doable to do on the Drobo, but the FS is sort of a, you know, that, that was sort of a big failure in many, many ways. It works, but apps wise was a kind of a disaster. Uh, oh no, I don't run apps on it. Right. No, Synology is mine. No, yeah. And it's called a beyond raid. Beyond so raid. It's, is it's a, so it's their proprietary and I think rather clever, uh, use of raid where you can and and actually i think you can even you know say i would like either either single drive or double drive protection that's you know, correct I, yeah that's right and uh you know for people that are looking for raid and don't want to think about it because it can get kind of technical if you're deploying it yourself yeah I, totally. I still yeah i still think the drobo is 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 pretty darn cool for, oh, the, for that the direct attached drobos are the simplest answer especially i mean you know uh craig's question is like poster child for a direct connect drobo i really you know i wanted to talk through all of this stuff because it's it's handy to understand the the technical stuff behind it but then when you come out the other end it's like I, but the drobo is the right thing because then you're just not like you said it it takes care of that headache for you and in many cases it's it's a lot less expensive so yeah it's good stuff really good stuff yeah fun all right john the, i want to i want to get into some some router stuff but first i want to uh i want to talk through our our second two sponsors if in fact that's okay with you uh, i i think it is go all right smiles pdf pen is one of my favorite pieces of software ever it's not something I use every day, but it's probably something I use. In fact, it's definitely something I use at least once a week, if not more. And there's all kinds of things that I can do with it. The first thing is putting my signature on stuff. And the nice part is they've got a library in there where you can store not only your signature, but I store my name because oftentimes when you sign a form, it says print your name here. I put that in there. I've got like a little snippet where I can drag in and uh, type the date in. That part's easy and they make it super easy and they also make it super easy to do on my phone because that library can be synced. So I've signed contracts on my phone. In fact, I remember one contract, a contract that is still in existence today. It's with one of the publishers that we represent over at Backbeat Media. I signed it waiting in the line at the gate before they started boarding the plane. You know how United has those like if you're in, you know, priority or whatever, you get in this line and go in that line. I was in that line. I was just hanging out, waiting for this flight to board. I signed a contract right there. PDF pen on my phone. Couldn't have done it without it. Works really well. But you can also do other stuff. Like if you have a PDF and it's got an error in it or text you simply want to change, you can change it. You can actually edit the text of a PDF. That, that's mind blowing. They make it easy. It's just right there. You just. Click the tool, highlight the text, type in your revision, correction, whatever it is, and you're done. PDF Pen Pro takes it to a whole other level. Ever wanted to create a PDF from a website, like an actual PDF, not some thing that OS X like chops up and does the wrong way? PDF Pen Pro 7 does it the right way. 
You ever fill out PDF forms? You can do that in PDF Pen. You can make those forms in PDF Pen Pro. So now you can be the one generating those forms and giving them to other people to fill out. PDF forms are super easy for everyone to deal with. Now you can create them and make it super easy for all the people you're working with. They work perfectly with El Capitan. You got to check it out. Visit smilesoftware.com slash geek. Go get your copies of PDF Pen for your Mac and your iOS devices. You're going to love it. Our thanks to Smile for sponsoring this episode. You want to have a good night's sleep. I want to have a good night's sleep. I want you to have a good night's sleep. Casper is our sponsor that's going to help you get there. The first thing you do is you visit casper.com slash MGG. You don't want to forget that because that link and its associated coupon code MGG are worth 50 bucks to you. You almost don't need the 50 bucks though, but there's no reason not to use it. So use it casper.com slash MGG coupon code MGG because Casper's mattresses are not only fantastic, but they're fantastically priced. They're really, really fairly priced. You know, in our house, uh, Casper was not the first foam mattress that we got. We had had a foam mattress prior. In fact, we bought it um, several years, but not too many years before uh, we got a Casper mattress here. And we still have both in the house. And, and my wife was laying on one and then the other. And uh, she's like, holy smokes, you know, this Casper mattress, the other one's fine. But this Casper mattress is super comfortable. I'm like, yeah, I know. She says, it's just the right amount of firm, but not too firm. And man, this is great. And here's the thing. We bought that other mattress maybe a year and a half before we got the, the Casper one. The Casper king size mattress retail, 950 bucks. Okay. You save 50. We've already been through that. This other mattress that we bought from like the cheapest priced furniture store around here that everyone knows was about 1200 bucks. And we had to pick it out in the store and lay on it in our clothes and all of that. We, you know, Casper gives you a hundred nights free trial, which means you buy the mattress, but if you don't like it within that first hundred nights, they come and get it for you and give it all your money back. So there's no risk to you. You got to check this out. Casper.com slash MGG coupon code MGG. Like I said, 950 is the retail price for a king. Everything else is less than that. And you save 50 bucks anyway, free shipping. What more is there to say? Check it out. Casper.com slash MGG coupon code MGG. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. All right. If we haven't gotten geeky enough, buckle in, buckle up, because it's about to get started. Um, maybe not, though. We, you know, we try to kind of dissect these things. So uh, I've, I've felt, I think I've said it on this show, that, that, Certainly for us, and, and I think for the world at large, 2016 is the year of the router. I know we all already have routers, so that might be a, a, a weird thing to say. But it's the year that the router really starts to do some smart things that help us in our quest for faster, more reliable Wi-Fi. And there's a couple, of, and, and really just faster and more reliable internet connections. So there's two technologies that I want to talk about today. Um, one of them is called airtime fairness and the other is quality of service or QoS. And, and there's other technologies to talk about, but we'll limit it down to, to these two for this little segment here. So airtime fairness, John, is, is an interesting thing. We've talked for years. We've talked about how uh, when like when 802.11G 
came on the scene, right? We talked about how, well, 802.11G theoretically supports up to 54 megabits per second. Really, you get half that. Uh, but if you have older 802.11B clients on your network, that can slow those down. And then that everybody got all wavy armed about that, right? Like, well, it doesn't actually slow them down to those speeds. It's just that sometimes, you know, if they're transmitting, it can slow things down. And But nobody ever, at least it was never explained to me, and therefore we never explained to you because we didn't know why that actually happened. But it kept happening, right? 802.11n, same thing. Oh, but if you've got G devices, you know, it gets yada, yada. You want to keep those. You want to isolate them. Here's why. The way radios work, and and again, this is another thing we're going to talk about here uh, down the road. The ray, the ray, the way radio, the wireless radios work is currently they can only talk to one client at a time. Now that that's that's not quite true because we've got this whole MU MIMO, which is multi-user MIMO thing where you can split your streams up and have them talking. But most clients don't support that yet. And most routers don't support that yet. So routers can talk currently to one device at a time. And the way they decide when they're finished talking to one device is they tell each device that they, that device gets to send X amount of data. And when that device is finished sending X amount of data, it says, okay, wait till your next turn next. And it goes to the next one. Now think about this. If you've got your network up and running and you've got one device that's 802.11n and let's say it's got, you know, maybe uh, 185 uh, megabit per second range based on its distance to the router and all of that stuff. And you've got another device that's 802.11g. That's getting, you know, maybe 25 at best, right? Megabits per second. Well, if each of them gets to send the same amount of data, who gets to wait? Well, the faster one has to wait, right? It's good. The faster one is going to transmit the same amount of data faster than the slower one. So that's what can slow down a network. If you've got multiple clients competing for the radio, the slower one takes longer. So there's this technology out called airtime fairness. And what it all it does is it changes the decision point from being about data to being about time. And it says, fine, if you turn on airtime fairness, now each client, no matter their speed, gets to transmit for the same amount of time before we move on to the next one. And it's just a round robin thing or something along those lines. Which means your slower clients get slower if they're competing for time with the faster ones. If there's no faster ones that want to talk, well, then, you know, your, your client just gets to go. But if there's other people that want to talk, that's what airtime fairness is. So in most cases, you probably want it on, especially if you're in a scenario where you've got mostly 802.11n or faster if you've got AC devices or whatever. Um, but you might have that one or two devices that that are still g like you know maybe your wi-fi mm. thermostat or something like that you know nest nest yeah nest right <laughs> yeah exactly but it's fine they don't need to be end devices right g is fine for those sonos is all g it's it doesn't need to but transmit. I, I would say ideally you want everybody at the highest well yeah level. but but that but the reality is you you don't yeah. get to control that yeah, like you said. Yeah. You know, like I, I upgraded my TiVo from a G to an N because I wanted it to be part of the N club and not right. be the 
you know, the bad <laughs> yeah. or the, the thing that's not, not dragging everybody down necessarily, but just, you know, the potentially odd, yes. odd man out and just causing, because actually I've, I've set and, you know, this is probably a good thing to do if, if your router allows you is to exclude the bands that are sure. So, like, for example, I've set mine up and I say no B devices, right? No, nobody. And actually I think even now, I think I am a N only household. I, I don't believe I have any G devices. So sure. I think I've actually, but no, I've definitely set up my TP link. And I think you can do this with Apple as well. I, I, I've definitely set it up to say no B whatsoever. Just, right. just don't allow it. Um, and I may have set it up to, to disallow G because again, I, I, I'm pretty sure I don't have any G devices anywhere. Right. They're all in. Yeah. But that you don't, oftentimes you don't get to pick, right? You, you're going right. to wind up with some devices that are just that way. And so airtime fairness just sort of deals with it and it says, Nope, no problem. And then your fast devices just get to be fast. Now the catch is your router. And this is a router technology. It doesn't need a client side version, you know, piece of it. It's all in the router, but your router needs to support it. Apple's routers, to my knowledge, do not support airtime fairness. They could. I, I, I think they could. I'm pretty sure the radios, certainly in the latest crop of, of airport extremes, can do it. It's just not turned on. And I don't think there's an option in the GUI for it. But there are in a lot of the new routers that are out. I, I think your TP-Link has it. I know your TP-Link's radio supports it if you're using third-party firmware. But I, I think, I think it's in there and, and, and it's in, you know, Netgear's doing it and it's, it's out there. Uh, so that's airtime fairness. Any, uh, any questions on that before we move on to the next one, John? Not yet. I, I think I get it. So that's, that's the first level of. Yeah, sure. How the routers handle this, which is, you know. Yeah. Very basic and very simple and, and kind of makes sense. But it makes sense. Yeah. It's like, I, I mean, I, you know, you got to pick something to use to limit it. And initially they picked. Yeah. yeah I mean, like you said, size. it's like, okay, you talk, you talk, you talk, you talk. That's um, it. Uh, you're you're kind of slow. All right. But I'll, I'll let you talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now here's, here's something it is worth. Again, I just want to mention briefly this MU MIMO or Mu MIMO is how the router community discusses it. Um, MooMimo is the technology. So you might have a router that supports, you know, you see this like, like three by three or four by four, right? It, it's got multiple streams per radio, right? And, and for 2.4 gigahertz, each stream of the radio um, is at 802.11n, 150 megabits per second. So if you've got a three stream radio, that's 450 megabits per second. And when you start adding up all these numbers, that's how router manufacturers get to, you know, AC 1700 or AC 1900 or anything like that. Uh, but the client device needs to support that number of streams too. So if you have a four stream router, but your client device only supports two streams, well, now it's a two stream router when it's talking to that client and it'll pick the right two streams to get it the best signal. But those other two streams go unused while you're just, you know, while it's talking to that client. If you have two, two stream devices, it seems like a waste that, hey, wait a minute, there's these other two streams on the router that are waiting to be used because that client is tying up the entire radio. That's what's called SU MIMO, single user MIMO. And that's what all of our, most of our routers support. But there's new routers coming out and some new client devices too. And we'll see more of those this year that support what I mentioned before, multi-user MIMO or MU MIMO. 
And that means that, yes, if you've got one device that has two and another device that has two and your router supports four, guess what? Your router gets to talk to both at the same time. But it has to be supported in both the router and all of the clients in order for that to happen. So it'll take a little while, but we're getting there. So that's MUMIMO, M-U-M-I-M-O. Make sense? All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So now it's time to talk about quality of service. And this is actually something that many routers, again, not Apple's, sort of, uh, have had for a long time. And the idea behind quality of service is this. If you're using 100% of your router's bandwidth in either direction, either down or up, other traffic is going to be impacted. Other traffic is going to be slowed down. So the idea, and this is a very basic sort of description of QoS. I know we could get, we could get deeper. We'll get a little deeper. Uh, so the idea is, what if your router was smart enough to say, hey, guy doing the big upload to Dropbox over there, somebody else just wants to check email. So I'm just going to slow you down a little bit and let their email traffic through. That's a good thing, right? Because now the guy checking email has no idea that somebody's soaking the upstream with their iCloud photos upload, which you might not even know is happening, or Dropbox, which, again, you might not know is happening, or your online crash plan backups, that kind of thing. It can really slow you down. The same is true in the other direction. If you're downloading gobs and gobs of data for whatever reason, it can slow you down. And the reason is your, your pipe from the cable company or your, your internet pipe is only so fast. And when you soak it all up, it you can't get other data through so data has to wait right and and the buffers fill up and that's what slows things down it's called buffer bloat if you want to look up the term but it kind of makes sense i don't think you need to look it up so uh the idea behind quality of service is if your router were to know how fast your cable modem connection was well then it could know hey that client is sending data that's at our cap so we better just slow them down a little bit to leave some headroom for everybody else and manage the data, uh, the connection appropriately. And that's what quality of service does. QoS is what routers call it. Again, Apple's routers don't have any way of configuring this. All routers do some level of this anyway, but without knowing and being explicit about what your connection speed is, they can't do it properly. <laughs> um, and so you have to tell your router what your connection speed is. But, and, and, and here's the hard part. And it's hard for, it's a hard pill to swallow. You know, you do your speed tests or whatever on your connection when nobody else is using it. And, you know, here, uh, you know, I get, uh, let's say I get 160 megabits down and 12 megabits uh, per second up. That's about what I get. In order for quality of service to work, you have to make sure that you never hit the max speed of your cable modem's connection. So you have to tell your router to slow everybody down and to limit your speed to be about 95% of what your cable connection is. And it's hard to give up that 5%. It's a theoretical thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you have to buy into this, but here's a way to convince yourself. Cause I did this this week. I set up QoS on our router uh, recently. I finally bit the bullet. My son's playing some online games. We've got a lot of stuff going on. I thought, yeah, you know what we've got, and I only did it on the upstream. My router allowed me to do it just on the upstream. So I set my upstream. We get 12. I set it to like 11.2. And it makes a huge difference. If, you know, I'm doing an upload of the show here. Nobody is impacted. It just works great. But I didn't set it on the downstream because I thought, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to give up my, you know, monster downstream. 
Well, I did a test the other day, and this is the test that you should do too. Open up a terminal window, type ping space www.apple.com because Apple will respond to pings. And this is handy. And just hit enter. And it's just going to start pinging. To stop this, you hit control C, but you don't want to stop it. But that's how you stop it eventually. And it's just going to show you. And it's going to show you a readout and the rightmost figure is going to be the number of milliseconds. What this is doing is it's sending a signal to apple.com and waiting for it to come back. Okay, very simple test. And you'll get it in a number of milliseconds. Now, for me, I was getting about 20 milliseconds. Great. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. doing it now and I'm getting about 10 to 12. Yeah, you've okay. got it. You're continue. better off than me. Yeah. But yeah, it's, so there's going to be some baseline and you just got to, you know, let it run for a good 30 seconds and just get a feel. It's not going to be like John said, he's getting about 10 to 12. I say I get about 20, but it's going to fluctuate. You're going to see a 15. You're going to see a 25 and, here. And even more interesting is that to add, which I, I think is useful. I don't want to interrupt you. Well, mm. I, I like to sometimes, but um, I was actually pinging and Akamai, uh, because when yeah. I, uh, so hey, I said, you're not apple.com. Apple. Right. When I, when I stopped, it actually said, oh, well, you were actually talking to e6858.dscc.akamaiedge.net. Right. Yeah, which is and fine. Probably because I have an Akamai closer to me, probably than you. That's why I'm getting slightly better. That's probably true. Yeah, times. that's right. Uh, but go yep. on, my friend. No, no, that's right. But what you want to do is just get this going and, and get a baseline, get a feel for what happens. Now go to your favorite speed test night site. I'm, I'm a Comcast user, so I go to speedtest.xfinity.com, but you could go to speedtest.net, whatever you want to go to, and run that speed test. The first thing it's going to do is it's going to do its own ping test to some other server, some speed server. That's fine. Then it's going to do a download test where it downloads data as fast as it can for, you know, what, about 10 seconds. And then it's going to do an upload test where it does the same thing. Watch those pings to apple.com during that test. If like, you know, like I said, I had set up QoS on my upstream, but not my download because I thought, well, it's not going to really matter. During the speed test downloads, my ping time to Apple doubled. I was at 40 milliseconds. Now, that's still not bad. Um, but during the uploads, it stayed at 20 because I had QoS on. I thought, yep. So this is telling me I need to turn on QoS. So I went and turned on QoS on my router. I did the calculations based on what the speed test was. I multiplied it by 95%. That's what I put in my router. I bit the bullet. And then I did more ping tests. Sure enough, 20 milliseconds the whole time through. Because it was intelligently saying, nope, we're not going to let too much data through so that everybody can have a nice, snappy internet connection. Now, QoS can go beyond that, right? And instead of just limiting the cap... Like I said, it can be very intelligent depending on your router. Your router itself might just like, like Netgear's routers are pretty cool about this. They they'll do the speed test inside the router itself. So you don't even need to do it. Um, but then they also have a uh, file that they get from net Netgear servers that like tells it, okay, for, you know, a Skype call, prioritize it really high for an FTP upload, prioritize it really low for Xbox gaming, prioritize it high because you want that low latency for that, you know, that kind of thing. So you don't have to think about it. Some of the routers require you to be entirely manual about it. And then you've got to start being very meticulous and saying, okay, this, that, the other, you know, that, that's and all that, that depends that was my on your question. Router. That was one of my questions to you in our, our pre-show or just our ongoing discussion about yeah. this is, uh, the way to define who should be able to do what 
I, I believe is uh, I think you pointed out there are standards around it. Uh, it can get it, it can range anywhere from something which, based on what you're telling me, is kind of smart. Is that it's aware of the network that it's on and kind of prioritizes. Or you could say, all right, I'm going to allow this. And I think even my TP link, I looked at the QoS part, and it's like, okay, you can say, all right, allow up to this amount of bandwidth for this service and this amount of bandwidth for this service. But you know, that gets tedious and well, you can, a pain in the neck. You can do more than that though. You should be able to just set priorities, right? Where you say, uh, like for me, I, yeah. I've set Dropbox and FTP, uh, and Apple iCloud, you know, traffic as bulk, right? So this is the lowest priority traffic on my network. It's great. If nothing else needs the bandwidth, by all means, give it to it. But, then there's, you know, there's like a one through five kind of priority level. And so that's set all the way down mm-hmm. at a one. And then I've got like our Skype connection here set at a five that I, I want a hundred percent, you know, if, if we're doing this show, I don't want any problems. So I set it to five and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and so then it'll prioritize it over that crash plan set down at a one, same kind of, you know, thing, really I'm setting things at one or five, this whole thing in the middle uh, you know, that you could be, like you said, you could get sort of obsessive about it and it would be very tedious, but, uh, but it works really well. And I, I like it, but again, not every router will do it that way. Some say you have to do it by client, like, you know, set that computer to be priority high, set this to be priority low. That's a little bit not, it's not granular enough. Um, but, but I've seen that done. So Apple's routers do not offer this. They could. They have the hardware, they have the, it, it does take a, a decent CPU in your router to do quality of service well, especially with fast, you know, hundred megabit plus connections. Um, but it's, it's doable. Oh, wow. you, just, you just need to be, you know, it needs to have a, a CPU. That's why, that's why a lot of manufacturers are pushing these, you know, dual core routers on people. It's like, why do I need a dual core CPU? Well, right. you know, my router, um, you know, my router is a dual core. So I'm running that uh, Netgear X8 right now, which is their, you know, $400 retail. It's the Netgear 8500, R8500 is the model number. Um, but the CPU, and so it's got a dual core 1.4 gigahertz uh, CPU in it. And it is running, the load of it is 0.7, which means that it's, you know, essentially running at 70% of its capacity. And a bit, and a huge part of that, is quality of service. If I turn on, turn off QOS, I'm down at like, you know, 0.1 or 0.2 kind of thing. One yeah. on that. Actually, no, uh, because it's a dual core CPU point two, 2.0 would be the, 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 you know, kind of the, the both CPUs are maxed out more than that means that there's processes queuing. So 0.7 means that I'm, you know, just below 50% of the CPU. But still, yeah, I'm looking here and yeah, it can get complex because I'm looking at the TP link screen right now on my QoS. Yeah. And so it has three priorities, high 60%, middle 30%, low 10%. But then when I say add a rule, then it gets, as we've been saying, tedious. It's like, well, do you want to set this rule by device or by application? Yeah. Application is what you want in most cases. Although right, like, like, like you're saying Skype or yeah. Backblaze or whatever, if, if it's something you can identify on a certain port. Yeah, well, there's more to it than just ports. So actually, you know, I'm looking. Oh, gosh. Now I just clicked on application. It's showing me, oh, gosh, a boatload of things. And actually, I could define my own, but it's showing me SSH, Telnet VPN. I think there's Skype in here. Oh, my gosh. G Talk. Yeah. Wow. This is pretty comprehensive. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. 
And and Brian Monroe in the chat room. Well, but it, some, it, it, but I could see how it gets tedious. Is like how uh, I don't even. I mean, you've obviously spent some time thinking about this, but I'm looking at this now. Number one, I'm the only person using my network. So. It's different when there's only <laughs> one person. No, it's true, right? You know, you, there's a good chance, although not a guarantee. There's a good chance that you know all of the traffic that's happening, but it could be mm-hmm. that you've got a crash plan backup or a backblaze, you know, something like that. Or, you know, your phone's going to decide now's the time to blast up those 45 pictures you took while you were out. And I'm going to, I'm just going to soak your upstream. Don't worry about it. You know, so, you know, I've got maybe 10 things in mind, right? I've got, I've I've got Skype three times and I don't know that I even need that. And BitTorrent is set low. Um, iCloud Dropbox FTP are low. iMessage FaceTime is high. Netflix is high. Xbox is high. YouTube is high. Amazon video is high and SIP because we use AT&T, um, uh, AT&T Wi-Fi for our calling with our phone. So SIP is, is the protocol so that uses session initiation protocol. I think. Is sure. SIP, I think that's right. right? Yeah. 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 So that's set to high. And th- those are the, you know, it's, it's the things that are set to high are the reasons you might want this. If you're doing a lot of Skype calling, you and I do every week and I do it with other podcasts as well. Um, it, you know, iMessage, we use FaceTime quite a bit in the house and, and SIP for, you know, our phone calls we use. So it, it, there's a reason to have it. And it's nice to be able to have, you know, like I said, my son's doing some online gaming now. It's important to have that Xbox stuff, at, you know, uh, be able to pass through and get the low latency. There's not a whole lot of traffic there, but, you know, it needs to happen quickly. And and the same with, with like Netflix. You just, you know, if you're going to watch a movie, you don't want it to be bogged down because somebody decided it was time to update, you know, to El Capitan on their machine. So it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. It gets a little crazy, um, but hopefully it makes sense. And, uh, and it, you know, now that I've, I've gone a couple of days after I've, uh, you know, limited my bandwidth, I'm, I'm, I'm able to sleep at night again, even though I'm only using 95% of my, uh, my bandwidth and not, not a hundred, but, uh, but I know that the network runs faster. I mean, I saw it and that was really the helpful thing is seeing that ping trail going, uh, during speed tests, you know, when I know I'm soaking up the thing, I was like, yeah, I, I gotta do this. It's the right thing. So anyway, um, uh, that's what I got there. There are other there are other things that routers do to try and kind of QoS on their own. These things called like there's different protocols, transmission protocols like Westgate and Vegas and all these other things. But uh, but okay, but Cause I, yeah, because I think the default behavior and actually uh, you may have seen this, but I've actually seen this Verizon commercial. And I think it, it describes exactly the default state of most networks. Is it shows a whole a, a room full of people. And they're trying to use this to demonstrate that their network is is better, which uh, you may or may not believe. But um, but so they show a whole room full of people, and then all of a sudden the door opens, and everybody's like, "Yay, let's all!" <laughs> and the problem is, there's way more people than can fit through the door, so it gets to be kind of chaos, which I think is the default state of most routers. Right? Is That's- everybody tries to pile through? Uh, something that is of a size that is smaller than the amount of things that want to get through it. That's right. And and then then it can be bad. <laughs> Whereas if you get tell everybody, and I guess this is what QS does, is like, okay, everybody get in a line, okay? Right, <laughs> right that's what it does. Yeah. You go here, yeah. you go here. And oh, this and, guy just showed up, he's next, he's a VIP. You know, it's just how it works. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's dog pile. And, and uh, dog piles are fun, you know, don't get me wrong, uh, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's fun. If you're I, a dog. I would say I've never seen TP-Link, so I, I, I can't uh, speak to that. But of the routers that I've tested, and I've been testing a lot, um, I got one of the, the new Synology routers just this week, so I haven't had enough time with it, but I'm really stoked about it. But so far, uh, Netgear's QoS interface is the best that I've seen because it's well, it, as long as you don't want to get crazy and granular, although I guess it would do that too, but they've got that automatic file that you download that where they've kind of done all of the obvious things. And that's really, you know, unless you're doing something crazy, being able to just say, yeah, go get this file that, you know, Netgear up, updates a couple times a year. That's it. And then you just, you're basically saying, turn on QoS, run the speed test, which they run inside the firmware. And, uh, and then you just accept it and it's done. And I've tested it and it works, you know, they, they, mm. so yeah, Netgear, Netgear's done a good job, they, but other people have too, but they're current, my current favorite. So, well, like I say, TP, like you may want to pick one of these up just, just, uh, I mean, yeah. like I told you, I mean, this, this thing was, I think under around a hundred bucks, yeah. and, you know, for, for the money, uh, you know, the Archer series, I, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, the people in our circle, I know are really happy with it. Oh and, no, everybody not, loves them. Yeah, and it's it's way less expensive than Apple, and and you know you can either do DDWRT or use their built in, and and from what I just saw while we were doing the show, yeah, um, their settings look to be pretty fine grained. I personally haven't yet felt a need to implement them because I've never been in a situation where I'm like, oh man, what I want to do on the network isn't working, right? And I suspect it's because somebody else is chewing my bandwidth. Um, the only time I think I've seen that Dave, but then I think it's, it's not me. It's YouTube is sometimes I'll try to fire up a YouTube video, but then YouTube will identify the problem as being my ISP saying, okay, well yeah. they're throttling you because yeah, there's some, a lot of ISPs <laughs> cache YouTube content in a weird way. And if you're using a non, a non ISP based DNS, like you might be with open DNS, then that can actually cause some problems with YouTube because they throttle the bandwidth between the ISP and the YouTube and YouTube for videos that they know they have cached. Right. And so that's the, that's where that issue is. Um, sometimes. Yeah. It gets, it gets weird because YouTube, you know, they have arrangements to make sure it's, I mean, it's, it's like a very intelligent edge caching is what's going on. It's not like the ISPs are doing something because funny. They're, they're actually trying to do something very intelligent, but you're right. bypassing it. Yeah. But isn't it funny how the ads always play beautifully in the highest quality? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then the content itself. Well, it's quality of service, right? I mean, if you, YouTube can do it on their end, too. They can say, okay, these things get prioritized, this stuff to that IP. No, because they should have it on an edge server near them, you know. So anyway, hey, one more thing, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I, I, I was setting up actually a Netgear router for a friend yesterday. He needed... He had this old like 802.11G router and he's like, yeah, the people, he rents an apartment. He has like an apartment next door to his house that he rents out. He's like, they're not getting enough signal over there. I'm like, dude, this thing is like, you know, whatever. It seems like 10 years old. He's like, yeah, that sounds about right. So uh, we set him up with a, an R7500 from Netgear that, you know, dual radio, multi-stream thing. And his neighbors are, or his tenants gone this weekend. So we don't know quite how it's working, but we had this weird thing. So we set it up and we gave the Wi-Fi network the same name and passwords that he was using previously. Cause why not? You know, and that's no problem. So we set them all up. We set them up with QOS and did all that good stuff. 
because his kids play games and you know, all that. And uh, all the computers were working and I'm about to walk out the door. And I mean, he didn't pay me. I did this for free for him, but uh, it was just like it would be, you know, like in, in the days when I would do a lot of consulting and, and you folks who do consulting know how this is, right? You, you're done with the client. They've signed the bill. They paid the bill. You're saying goodbye. You're wa- about to walk out the door and one of his sons comes downstairs and he's like, I'm getting really slow downloads from one of my games. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's take a look. Now, I mean, obviously I wasn't getting paid, so it didn't matter that I had already, you know, basically packed everything up. So we go upstairs. Long story short, about three hours later, maybe two hours later, we finally figured it out. He really was getting low speeds, but we, we troubleshot it. And I finally, I don't know, something told me to turn on IPv6. And what was weird was IPv6 connections from his computer were totally fine. But IPv4 connections from that one computer, big problems. So it's not the hardware, right? It's not the uh, distance from the router because it was a Wi-Fi connection, it's like, this is really weird. And so we'd restart the computer and all of that. No, same problem. And we just went round and round and it was a windows machine. So we're like, you know, windows gets weird with like all the firewalls and everything. So it's like, okay, let's turn off all the firewalls. Maybe something's filtering IPv4 traffic and uh, no, no. Finally, I just manually changed his IPv4 address. So it was like 192.168.1.12 is what it was getting from the, from the router. I changed it to like .151. Boom. Everything was golden. Totally fine. Like, okay. So what was going on? So without rebooting the router, which I'm, I'm sure now would have, would have solved this problem. I, uh, I just told it, okay, go back and get an IP address from the router, which it did. And it got dot 12 again. And then everything worked. So I have no idea why that had, that was a problem. My, my guess is there was something in the routing tables of the router. Maybe he connected like while we were changing some settings or something, you know, who knows what the kids did, but, um, but it was just a weird thing. So I throw that out there so that hopefully nobody else has to spend those two hours. If you, if you run into a scenario like that, just reboot the router. <laughs> it's probably going to fix it. So it's weird. It wasn't a DNS thing. I mean, we tried all kinds of different things. Uh, just wouldn't let traffic out. But I could get traffic to the router. Like I could pull up the router's interface lickety split over the, uh, over the IP. I don't know. It's weird. I, I can't, I can't guess this. I, like I said, I think it was just something in the routing tables and, and changing it, you know, having the Mac address assigned to a different IP and then, and then coming back was enough to flush out whatever needed to happen. You got any thoughts on that one, John? Um, as I say in my social media profile on many sites, um, my advice in, in this case would be, do you try turning it off then on again? Well, yeah, I tried turning the computer off and on. <laughs> that was the thing. The router was working with everybody else, right? So it, it, it took a long time for me to finally say, well, maybe it's the router, you know, oh, it's weird. It was weird, but it was fun, you know, and I was hanging out with a friend and I mean, it was, it was actually, a, I, I, if I wasn't with him, I probably would have been like, I don't know, shoveling extra snow or something at home. So it was, uh, it was good. But it was weird. I threw down the ice melt, yo. Yeah, we don't use a lot of that here. The sun does a pretty nah. good job for well, most of Well, I do a bit stuff. because, well, though we did have some black ice situations. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that around here. And and just a note to my fellow citizens. Will you just brush your car off? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. We actually put a law in place that you shouldn't have to do this. You would think people would be smart about this, but... 
Can you brush the ice and snow off your car before you drive so you don't endanger the person behind you? Yeah. Seriously. I know. They've had they've had to institute a law here because there were so many, in my opinion, dumbasses who wouldn't do this. You know what I say to those people, John? I say feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the address that you can send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, and heck, even your rants. We welcome well, them. You know what? Other than telling them to just clear your car, I would agree with you that send... <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know why it would help, but yeah. I mean, after you clear off your car, send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGub.com. Unless you're a premium listener like Felix and Craig were in this show. And I believe uh, in our Cool Stuff Found, we had, uh, I believe Jeff was a premium member as well. Thank you to all of you. Uh, And you get to use premium at MacGeekGub.com, which is, uh, we love you for that. So if you want to learn about that. Because I'm sure all our premium members clear off their vehicles before driving that's right thank you for and if you don't you should thanks for shaming <laughs> all of our listeners john 206-666-GEEK <laughs> is the uh phone number that anyone can use and john geek is after you've cleared off your vehicle oh. 4335 <laughs> please uh visit us on facebook facebook.com <laughs> slash uh oh heck just go to macgeekup.com slash facebook it's easier to get there and uh and then we'll we'll approve you into the group it's a great group that we've got there it's actually a public group so you can see everything but i think in order to post you need to be approved but there's lots of us that can approve you because anyone in the group can do so so you pr- you get approved pretty quickly and uh we'd love to have you over there it's like the show goes on all week long over there with everybody chit-chatting and helping one another it's a fantastic community and and i we started the show with allison i'm going to end it with her thank you to allison for uh years ago for convincing me that we needed to start groups like that facebook group and our google plus group because uh it really makes a difference so thank you allison for 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 driving that point home with me you got to check out her podcast at podfeet.com i also want to thank cashfly at cashfly.com c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y that is the company that gets that takes that uh they provide all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you uh, the podcast marketplace, as we mentioned during the show, Betterment at betterment.com slash MGG. Harry's at harrys.com, where coupon code SHAVE5OFF saves you five bucks. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek. Tells you all about PDF pen. And of course, Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Uh, also, Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can sell off all your old stuff. I'm amazing. Where coupon code MGG saves you 20%. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG, where MGG saves you 10%. Otherworld Computing. We mentioned some of their stuff during the show, but that's only because they make good stuff. They are also a sponsor. MaxSales.com and Barebones Software at Barebones.com. Thanks for everything this week, folks. You rock. Send us your stuff. And uh, have a good day. And don't get caught. Made up.